study of the book of James. So if you'll open your Bibles to James chapter 5, and we'll be reading the first 12 verses. Go to now. If we would put that in the vernacular, it says, pay attention. Go to now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is cankered. And the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Be patient, and this is now our text, verses 7 through 12. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it until he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken of the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, but let your yea be yea and your nay nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Now all those last verses from 7 through 12 we're going to kind of look under that theme of verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. May God add his blessing. We saw last week, didn't we, in the first verses of chapter 5, James very sharply rebuked the wicked rich people who were abusing their poor brethren. And now in verse 7 through 12, James shifts the focus. Shifts the focus from the persecutors to those who are persecuted. Moving from condemning those abusive rich, now to comforting the faithful abused 
poor. But he not only comforts those poor, those who are oppressed, those who have trials, but he also instructs them what their attitude must be in the midst of those persecutions and oppressions and trials. So the theme of this scripture is defining how to be patient in trials. How to be patient in trials. Troubles are an inevitable part of your and my lives, isn't it? Because we live in a fallen and a cursed world. And what does Jesus have to say to us? John 16, verse 33, In the world you will have tribulations. Paul warned new Christians in Rome of the certainty of suffering. Romans 8, verse 18, he told Timothy, Join with me in suffering for the gospel. Because, as he writes in 2 Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Jesus told his disciples, they will persecute me, you. They, as they have persecuted me, they will persecute you. So James not only wants to comfort those who are oppressed by those wicked rich, but also he wants to warn them. When you face trials and difficulties and persecutions, you risk losing your patience. You will be tempted by your sinful nature to lash out against the circumstances, against the persons that do it, and even against God who allows it or causes it. James exhorts, so in my outline I said patience is urged, but it's more than that. That's a team word. Patience is admonished of us, is exhorted of us. Be patient in all these trials. Patience. Patient unto the coming of the Lord. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto, or we could put the word because, the coming of the Lord. Notice with me the patience urged, the examples given, and then what follows from it. Patience. That Greek word comes from two different words put together. The one word meaning anger and the other word meaning long. And so it means long-tempered. Take that anger and temper it. Cover it up. Now in James chapter 1, the word is translated endurance. That talks about patiently enduring circumstances in one's life. The word that is used here in verse 7 means patiently endure difficult people. Difficult people. Hmm, are there such? Job. Boys and girls, I want you to think of Job. What? trials he went through 
God allowed Satan to take away all of his possessions, all of his children and all of his servants, and yet he believed. And then God allowed Satan even to touch his health, but not any further. And so Job is suffering with these boils, and everyone sees him as an outcast, even his wife. And then comes his three friends, oh, three friends. And the good part is, for seven days they didn't talk. Too bad they didn't keep that up. That's true of some people, right? If only they keep their mouths shut. Well, those three friends had plenty to say. They thought they had plenty of wise advice. What a trial. That's what that word is. Be patient under adversity. It's dealing with people, not only circumstances. And we've experienced some of that, haven't we, in these last years? Because of our positions on faith, faith that is active in our lives, we're called all kinds of names by those who are in the church Lashing out, saying we're heretics. Yes, we have to deal patiently with those people. Patience with people is as difficult as being patient in circumstances. But patience is the righteous judgment or standard that God expects of all of his believers to conform to. No matter what trial you're going through. So James here gives six practical perspectives enabling believers to patiently endure trials. Six of them. I'm going to name them. Number one, anticipate the Lord's coming. And that's what verse 7 is saying. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord, or because of the coming of the Lord. That's one way we can be patient. The Lord's coming soon. Number two, be patient in trials, second of all, because you recognize the Lord's judgment. Judgment that came upon the wicked rich in the first six verses. But judgment that will also come upon God's people if they are not patient in their trials but lash out. And while we're talking about it, let me talk a little bit more about that judgment. For the wicked, the judgment day is all about judgment of sins. And because of those sins that will be enumerated of them, they will be cast out and they will go to hell. God's children will be in the judgment, but not for sins. Those sins will not be mentioned. Why not? Because Christ has said, I paid for them. Those sins are now gone. So you say, well, what are God's people going to do then in the judgment? The judgment for the righteous is a judgment of their works, according to what God's reward that he gives for those That fills the whole theme, doesn't it, of James? Do you have a living faith or a dead faith? You say you believe, but you can't find it in your life. Do you have a genuine faith or is it just a counterfeit? 
It's easy to say the words, but it's another thing to live the life. So, to help saints be patient in adversity, anticipate the Lord's coming soon, recognize the Lord's judgment. Thirdly, follow the Lord's servants. Verse 10, take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. You can go to Hebrews chapter 11. All those saints, their faith is demonstrable. Number four, understand the Lord's blessing. The Lord is in this, and the Lord's going to use it for good, these trials and even the persecution. We are filling up the sufferings of Christ Jesus. That brings me to the fifth, recognize God's purpose. Why does he have trials in our life? And isn't it to shape us? So that we don't cling to this earthly life, but rather we are dependent upon God. We look for that day when there is deliverance from this body of death, the Lord's purpose. And sixthly, consider the Lord's character. You say, well, where did I read in the passage about that character? Well, the very word patient means be long-suffering. And I'm going to point out to you in verse 7, that that is, the last part is all about our God. So patient unto the coming of the Lord, why is that patience so necessary? What we read in Psalm 90, verses 9 and 10, for all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as a tale that is told. The days of our years are 70 or by reason of strength, 80 years, yet their strength is labor and sorrow. It's difficult living in this world. That's why patience is needed. And the church during James' time was suffering. Suffering not only from the Jews, but also Rome would come and persecute them for their faith. The faithful church then and still today is suffering. There they were suffering even from those within the church, the wicked rich. They looked down on their poor brethren. Instead of in the early church where they were communicating together, sharing all that they had together, no, finally, there are some who are getting rich, and there are others that are poor, and they look down upon the poor. Those trials, beloved, are real. No matter the days or years that we have to suffer, maybe it's only a short little while, maybe it's many years with a certain illness, or with doubts, fears, those trials are there in our marriages, whether we marry for better or for worse. Whether in our lives we enjoy health or sickness. Whether we are in prosperity or in troubles, there's trials, there's difficulties. 
And there is nothing more difficult for the child of God to practice than patience in the midst of those trials or persecution. We have the need for patience. What do we read? We read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36. For ye have need of patience that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. We need patience. What is it? Patience is not stoic indifference. It is not, well, what will be, will be, stiff upper lip, I'll try to handle it. But the word, as I said, means long-suffering. And in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, we read that we need to have that kind of patience then in it. Let me read that text. The suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. We are called to fill up those sufferings of Christ. Not suffering for wrongdoing, but suffering for the cause of Christ Jesus. Taking a stand regardless of how others view us or what they say about us. We are are exhorted then not only to be sound in faith, but be sound in patience as well. Titus 2 verse 2, aged men be what? Sound in doctrine, in charity, and in patience. Another passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. If these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you see how these passages all fit in with the theme of James? What is genuine faith? What is counterfeit? James has asked earlier in James chapter 2, you say, I'll show you my faith and I'll show you my works. It's easy to say, I believe and I love the Lord. But is it demonstrable in our lives? Can one see, can the world that we live in, can our fellow saints see that activity of faith? And yes, when we talk about activity of faith, that is again where we are being persecuted by others. They say, no, 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 no. We don't do any good. It's God who does it all. Faith works. That's James' whole position. And that's why he says, if these things, all these different beautiful virtues or attitudes of Christ are communicated to us, if these things be in you, including patience and abound, They shall make you that ye shall be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anything that could be worse said of us? That we are unfruitful or 
barren in our life for Christ. So it's not enough that we just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, but now we have to run the race that is set before us, don't we? What is the nature of that patience? I said it's not stoicism, stiff upper lip, but rather it is a submission, a submission of our whole soul to God. The will accepts what God gives. And, God, and the will accepts the way that the Lord uses to that end, the road that he causes you and me to travel on. Submission. And how can we do that? First of all, we see God in our troubles. We see God in his troubles. The psalmist says, Psalm 39, I was dumb, I opened not my mouth, because thou didst it. I think of that other passage, be still and know that I am God. So first of all, we see God in our troubles and our trials. Number two, we see God acting sovereignly. Job says in Job 9, verse 12, Behold, he taketh away, who can hinder him? Who will say unto him, What doest thou? We're the creature. God is sovereign. Thirdly, God does this in his attributes. And I'm going to list four different attributes with the text. First of all, God puts us in these trials in his justice. Deuteronomy 27 When every curse was pronounced from the mountain, the God's people were to say, Amen. That if, if it comes to pass, Amen. It's a righteous dispensation. It's saying, yep, I deserve to be punished. I deserve that curse. And of course, Israel could only say that because they did it with God as their leader and the beautiful sacrifices and the shedding of blood for their sins. God does these things to us in our lives in his mercy. Ezra 9, verse 13, Thou hast punished us less than we deserved. Afflicted, they were not destroyed. Down in Babylon, they were able to come out again. Yes, they were punished because of their sins. That's why they had to go down to Babylon. But God always preserved them there. God does it in his faithfulness. Psalm 119, verse 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might keep thy statutes. Threshed. That's what we are. Threshed by God so that the stalks and the chaff are blown away and there is just that beautiful, pure wheat. God does it in his wisdom. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. God is the God of judgment. Too just to do anything wrong, too kind and wise to harm us. God gives, as James writes in James 4, verse 6, more grace. God. God involved in our lives, but then God also as the one who suffers long. It's that attribute of God, especially. Boys and girls from catechism. Do you remember that circle that we drew on the board during the time of the judges? 
the four S's. Everyone think. Sin, suffering, sorrow for sin, salvation. And those four S's are not placed, the same place around the circle. Sometimes God had to cause them to suffer for their sins for 20 and even 22 years underneath their enemies till they finally were sorry for their sins and then he saves them, he delivers them. God is a long-suffering God. He suffers with his people and he allows them to continue to suffer until it brings the necessary result, remorse for their sin, and he delivers them. Isn't that what we read in Peter? When they are asking Has the Lord forgotten to come back? Is he slack concerning his promise? And the answer is no, God is not slack. But God is not willing that any should perish, but that they all should come to salvation. And no, that's not the general offer of the gospel. That is God's word to his saints, the church. Why why are they still in this world suffering? Why doesn't Jesus come back and take us out of this world? And the reason is... He is not willing that any should perish. His elect have to be born and his elect have to be saved. And so he's going to continue to suffer along with his church, living in this dark, sinful world until all of his saints are saved and he will come again. So what does this mean? It means that you and I are to receive this suffering as from the Lord And bear it, then, in the strength that God alone gives us. It means, second of all, that we rejoice even in that, knowing that God's purpose is good. Namely, he's strengthening our faith, he's shaping us, preparing us for our places in glory. It means, beloved, that by grace we persist in our faith and in our obedience. It's from God's hand. It is good. And the goal, the goal is the coming of the Lord, isn't it? Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto or because of the coming of the Lord. Be patient, establish your hearts. Verse 8, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now you have to remember, draweth nigh. It's been 2,000 years since Christ has been in heaven. Draweth nigh quickly. That's what Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. But remember that a thousand years are to the Lord as one day, and a day is a thousand years. He's coming as quick as he can. But he will not come until the wicked have filled their cup of iniquity. And you and I might look at this world and say, well, we have really filled the cup of iniquity. But he will not come until every one of his elect are born and are saved, and then Jesus will come again. What a blessed hope that will be. Our hope may not be a selfish escape from this world. I want to die. I can't contend with the things that God places with me. Let me take my own life, though those are wrong. Rather, our goal is, Lord, thou art good. Thy plan is good. 
I don't always understand it, Lord. Give me the grace that is all-sufficient. As God said to Paul when he asked that that thorn of the flesh be taken away. Hope. As we read in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. That brings me, beloved, to our second point then. In order to bring this home, examples are given to God's people. Be patient in adversity, in your trials, in your persecutions, in your oppression, because the kingdom of God is drawing nigh. Let's look at some examples. And I want to stay, start with the second part of verse 7. There we read, Behold the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he received the early and the latter rain. Who is that referring to? Who is this farmer? Many commentators want to make the farmer us. We have to be like that farmer. That, I do not believe, is at all the thing. Rather, God is the husbandman. Many of the parables deal with that, isn't it? God has his field that he is growing. Yes, Satan might throw tares tares in the field. Yes, it might be difficult. This farmer has to wait for the early rain and the latter rain, and, and perhaps that farmer is getting kind of nervous. If that latter rain doesn't come soon, the wind might blow, or there might be a storm, and all that wheat is crashed over in the floor, and the combine won't pick it up at all anymore, and it's wasted. But the husbandman waiteth. For the precious fruit of the earth, and he hath patience. Beloved, that is our God. Slow to anger, plenteous in grace, patient. He allows the wicked tares to keep on growing in this world, and they grow worse and worse, but he still has his church. And this earth has to keep on spinning yet for a while in order for that church all to be realized that is born from our wombs and saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. God. Long-suffering, that is one of the attributes of God. And yes, then you and I who have that characteristic that attribute communicated to us. As God is patient with this world and is patient with his church, you and I need to be patient in our circumstances and be patient also with those who oppress us, call us names, hurt us, and would slay us. And we do that. I want you to, if you have your Bible still open, if we go back to verse 6. Those wicked rich have condemned and killed the just. And we read, and he doth not resist you. That means there the child of God doesn't strike back. If those wicked rich, as we read in the earlier chapters, withhold the wages or don't give them on time, 
The believer may not strike against him, may not organize and try to hurt him by breaking his machinery or tearing down his house or wrecking his status. That's not the attitude of the believer. It says, he doth not resist those wicked. He doesn't fight against, but what does he do? He waits patiently for the Lord to vindicate him. And that's why there is judgment mentioned in the first part of this chapter, and that's why judgment is mentioned again in verse 9. We wait on the Lord. He will vindicate us. We don't have to try to vindicate ourselves. So God's attribute of being long-suffering with his people, suffering along with them, suffering for them, We suffer in our circumstances. We suffer at the hands of people not reacting back. And that's exactly the negative examples of impatience that are mentioned, aren't they? Verse 9. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. So when there are those who are calling us names and writing in their magazines about these, how bad we are and the pastors are, we do not go back and retaliate with language and calling them names. That is why the standard bearer was very hesitant to first write about it at all. We didn't want tit for tat. Don't Try to vindicate yourselves. Leave that up to God, and he will vindicate that at the last day. So don't grudge one against another, lest ye be condemned, lest the judgment that comes upon those wicked rich also comes upon the believer who has a dead faith instead of a lively faith a counterfeit faith instead of a genuine faith. Second of all, in verse 12, because otherwise it's hard to know where does verse 12 really come. It would be a good text for Lord's Day 36 and 37 when it's about the oath. But above all things, my brethren, he says, so he's still talking to these oppressed brethren. Above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by the earth, neither by any other oath, But let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Don't curse those who are hurting you. And don't curse God, blaspheming his name. Don't take oaths upon your lips that you are going to get even with them, or you're going to make it okay by yourself. That is wrong. Let your yes be yes, May your no be no. God's will is in my life and I must submit to it. And then he gives positive examples of patience. Verse 10. Take my brethren the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Notice Suffering, affliction, and of patience because they've spoken in the name of the Lord. I want you to think about some of those prophets as we have them in the Bible. Let's start with Abel. Cain and Abel are both bringing a sacrifice, aren't they, to God? 
but Cain is bringing a sacrifice of the labors of his hand. He says, Lord, you should be satisfied with what I give you, what I have done. Whereas Abel comes with the blood of the lamb. Abel confronts his brother. He says, brother, this is wrong. It's not your works that are going to get you in heaven. It is the blood that is shed, the blood that will be shed, of which the sheep is the type. And what did Abel get for correcting his brother? Cain, Cain slew him. Let's go to Enoch. In a wicked generation, he is testifying, you read in the book of Jude, he is testing of the righteousness of God. He's calling the people to repentance. What does he get? Thanks. It becomes so intolerable for him that we read that God took him bodily to heaven. Let's think about Abraham. Abraham who is promised and his, with his seed the land of promise Canaan. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits patiently all of his life, and he never owns one acre except the one acre that he buys to bury his dear wife, Sarah. Behold the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Oh, let's think about, <clears throat> let's think about Joseph. He gets that wonderful dream where all his brothers and even his parents are bowing down before him. And he tells them the story, and what does he get for it? Hatred, so that they catch him, throw him in a pit, and sell him to the Midianites. Let's look at Joseph when he is in Egypt. And Potiphar's wife wants to make love with him. And he will not. He will not dishonor his God. He flees from that room. What does he get for that obedience? Yeah, you're right. Thrown into prison. Because Potiphar, even if he really doesn't believe his wife, has to put on a good show. Let's talk about Moses. Moses who, after 40 years in Egypt, wants to deliver his people. And so when an Egyptian is whipping an Israelite, he kills that Egyptian. What does he get for it? Gratitude? Oh, are you going to try to kill us like you did that Egyptian? And he has to flee for another 40 years to the wilderness. Or Israel. They're supposed to go up to the land of promise. But instead of heading north, there they head south down into the wilderness. 40 years in that wilderness because of their sin. David anointed by Samuel to be the next king. What does he get for that? King Saul is jealous and seeking his life, and David has to hide out in caves with a small group of men. Elijah. He brings the word of God to Israel. It's not Baal, but it is God who is the true God and what does he get? He has to run for his life from Ahab and Jezebel. And shall we continue the prophets? Jeremiah, thrown into a pit. Isaiah, they harden their hearts against him. Micaiah is beaten. Zechariah is killed by Joash, the king. Take, beloved, 
James writes, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord and for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Oh, beloved, go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Faith that is demonstrated by a lively faith, a faith that produces good works, good works that are going to be rewarded by God in the day of judgment. If that isn't enough, the Spirit has James give one more example yet. Verse 11, Behold, we count them happy who endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord. What do we see in Job? Yes, those miserable friends, everything ripped away from him, his health gone. But God justifies himself and Job. He is a righteous man. And the Lord is very merciful. He returns all of his riches double-fold to him. And that's, of course, a picture in the Old Testament of the Lord's blessing. Now in the New Testament, it is not by the amount of riches a person has that we know that he is blessed, but one is blessed in the way of obedience and faith that demonstrates itself in our daily lives. Satan sought to break Job. God uses it to bring Job even closer to him to himself and also to testify of his faith. Job strengthened in that faith. And so with all those examples, first of God himself and then those other examples we read in verse 8. Now, you've seen how God is slow to anger, long-suffering, patient, You see how all these prophets and even Job are. And now comes the word of God. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts. How do we establish our hearts? Well, God does it, but God does it through means, through his word, through the preaching of the word. We establish our hearts kind of like Hezekiah. Do you remember, boys and girls, King Hezekiah, godly king, brought reformation in the land, and Sennacherib came against him with his army. There is a long letter telling what they're going to do against the Israelites, and what does Hezekiah do? Does he say, what shall I do? What shall I do as a good king? What must... No. He takes that letter, and he lays it before the Lord, and he prays. Dependence upon the Lord. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, what? In his word. Establish your hearts by his promises. Establish your hearts by knowing that God is sovereign and he will work all things together for good to them that love him that are the called according to his purpose. Third point. What flows from this? What flows from a life where instead of getting angry or frustrated with the trials and difficulties and persecutions and oppression we have to go through? Number one, we increase in our trust in the Lord. I can't stop wicked men from calling me names 
or disliking me. I can't right the wrongs in life. I cannot even predict or control what my health is going to be. I tomorrow might be also laying on a bed of illness like our fellow saint is. We increase trust in the Lord. I can't do anything about it, but I know who can control all things, sovereign in it, and will work it for my good. So we not only look for the Lord to come, yes, that's a blessing, that's the hope that looks forward. It's not always going to be this way 70 or 80 years by reason of strength, we read. What is that? I can't put my fingers close enough to point how short that span is compared to the eternal life that is ours in Christ Jesus. So we look not only to the coming of Jesus Christ, but we trust the ways that he leads us to that glory. Through sufferings and oppressions, by filling up the suffering of Christ Jesus, the trials and disappointments in our lives are his way of preparing us for our final glory. So that we say, we don't cling with all of our hands to what the world is and what the world can give us, but rather we turn away from this world and we say, this world's not my home. I'm looking for something far better where there is no sin, where there's no temptation, where there are no more sorrows, there's no more sickness, no more pain, no more death. As the farmer waits patiently, He needs the assistance of God. God has to give the rain as he is today, and God has to give the sunshine, and the corn is going to prosper and grow tall and strong. And so also in our lives, we wait upon God to lead us through our trials, through the persecutions, through the oppression, to strengthen us in our faith in him, dependence upon him living then in obedience and patience. We're saying, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. That's a hymn, isn't it? Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Have thine own way. We submit. And we are filled with a comforting hope. That's where Psalm 30, verse 5 comes in. Weeping endureth for a night. Joy cometh in the morning. What comforting hope we have. We read in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, so that ye become behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3 verse 20, for our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 and 10, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Titus 2, verse 13, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Yes, cling to the promises of God's word. Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. And so the spirit and the bride say, what? Come, 
Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. So that our hope is not merely that then all of God's and our enemies will receive their just deserts, punishment and banishment to hell. Our hope is not merely that then all suffering and difficulty will be removed. It will. But our hope is that we will be with Jesus. And his reward is with him. And with that mind, we can serve him without distraction. What if this happens? What if this happens? We serve him without distraction, with unmixed zeal, and with affection. And beloved, that is not only a comforting hope, it is a purifying hope. 1 John 3, verse 2 and 3, He who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure. So what does that mean? You and I who are oppressed, who lay on beds of illness, have names called to us, have difficulties in our life. Away with bitterness. Away with envy of what others have. Away with jealousy. Away with anger. Away with disappointment. We look to our Maker and our Redeemer and we are strengthened in our faith. He's holding us hand, a loving hand that works all things for our good. Steadfastness in faith. For the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read in James 5, verse 8, draweth nigh. So whatever, whatever difficulties or trials or temptations you or I may have to go through, Comfort, hope, patience. Christ is coming and will right all wrongs. And he will reward those who have a faith that is active. He will reward the works that he has prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank thee for this comfort of this passage. We need that comfort. For many times, our feet have to go on paths that are very difficult for us. Suddenly hated by those who once were friends. Laying on a bed of illness. Fears and doubts about ourselves and our future. We thank Thee that we can look away from ourselves to Thee. Then we pray, that attribute of Thine, slow to anger, might be ours, long-suffering, patient in trials. Amen.